Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of the podcast. This particular episode is sponsored by Audible. They are the world's leading provider of downloadable audiobooks. And um, because uh, they're my sponsor, you can ad- take advantage of their special offer that they're offering to all my lips- lip- lipsteners. Lipsteners, there's a new word. I've just created a new word. Uh, yeah, they're offering something to all my listeners, and that is a free audiobook download. Uh, if you want to take advantage of that, just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash audible. Um, check out uh, Audibles. You can start a trial with them, and that includes the free download of any audiobook of your choice. And uh, why don't you try downloading one of the Harry Potter books? Because they're all now available as audiobooks, and they're very, very popular indeed. Okay, so just check out uh, uh, teacherluke.co.uk forward slash Audible, or click an Audible logo on my website. Now, let's start this new episode, and here we go. Ladies and gentlemen... This is a journey into the English language. A journey into the DNA of the English language. Really? The DNA of the English language. Now that's a really quite a strong claim. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Who are you? You talking to me? You talking to me? You know who I'm talking to. I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. Oh, really? Yes. Hello there, welcome to this episode of Luke's English Podcast. In this one I've called a meeting, I've decided to call uh, a meeting, so gather around everybody, thanks very much for coming to the meeting. As usual, there are tea and coffee making facilities just over there if you'd like to make yourself a hot drink. Uh, we do have a, a small selection of biscuits available too and some some crisps and other snacks over there. Uh, this is a this is a primarily an English meeting. Um, so there are there are things to eat. Um, almost all of them are likely to raise your blood pressure. Um, but they taste good, you know, especially those cho- chocolate digestive biscuits over there, the best biscuits in the world. They're English, but they're good. Thanks for that, uh, advertising department, for coming up with that catchy slogan. Uh, what else? Uh, there is water as well, of course. Don't forget to drink water. There is also air uh, in the room. Uh, we have we have opened the windows here, so there is air available if you'd like to breathe. Um, I recommend that you breathe. Um, I recommend that everybody at the meeting breathes because that's going to you know be important. That uh, that will mean that you all stay conscious during the meeting. So please please do try to stay awake uh, during this um, this meeting here that, that's happening on a Friday afternoon, late on a Friday afternoon, the time of the week when everyone is at their most motivated. Um, so thanks very much for coming to the meeting. I've called this meeting in order to just deal with some stuff that's going on at the moment. You know, it's one of those meetings that I regularly um, invite you to attend. Um, and um, yeah, this is one of those meetings where I've, I've asked you to come, but I don't want you to say anything, okay? I'm just going to talk to you um, and you just have to sit there and listen to me. 
Um, obviously, this being a podcast, that's sort of the way it has to work, right? If this was a real business meeting, then it would be a bit one-sided, wouldn't it? Um, normally, in a real business meeting, I'd be asking for your opinions and opening up the floor for discussion and things like that. But uh, this is a podcast, isn't it? Yeah, even though I'm talking about it like it's a meeting, obviously. Obviously, it's just a podcast. Um, on the agenda for today in this meeting, we have some news, some football updates, including some stuff about the uh, England and Wales game from yesterday and some other bits of chat about uh, the Euro football championships. Um, some more Brexit chat, some more stuff about Brexit. And then um, also I will talk a bit about the incidents that happened yesterday involving a British MP called Joe Cox, uh, which is actually a, a pretty tragic story um, that's still developing at this point we we don't know all the full facts yet but needless to say it's well it's a pretty tragic event some of you have left comments on uh the um website asking me about this um you might not be aware of it a lot of you listening to this won't know who joe cox is that you you might not know about what happened to this uh member of parliament um i'll talk about it later on uh, that's quite that's quite a serious story um, so yes, this episode or this meeting, in fact, is going to start quite light-hearted um, as we talk about uh, you know some recent things and some football stuff, and then it will gradually get a bit more serious, I expect, as it goes along to the point where we deal with uh, a tragedy that happened yesterday. Um, but you know that's fine. I, I think that uh, it's okay to just uh, talk about any old thing on Luke's English podcast. Sometimes serious, sometimes light-hearted. You take the rough with the smooth. Um, so first of all, some general news and announcements. Um, first thing I'd like to do actually is actually just make a few recommendations. I would like to just recommend that you do a couple of things. So first of all, I'd like you, to, uh, I'd like to recommend that you join the mailing list for uh, my website. Um, so teacherluke.co.uk, and on the right-hand side, near the top, underneath the Luke's English Podcast logo. You'll see some links like iTunes and um, RSS feed links. And then you'll see the mailing list. And that's where you can add your email address. And then anytime I publish something, like a new episode, usually it's new episodes, you'll immediately get an email and you'll know exactly when a new episode has arrived. And then you can just dive in. And also it's a quick way to access the page for the episode as well. And it's worth having a look at the pages uh, for the episodes that I do, because that's where you will find vocabulary notes and often transcriptions. I don't usually transcribe every single episode, but often the first, you know, the first five minutes or so will often be transcribed because I kind of have to, depending on the episode, sometimes I just make it all up as I go along. But often you will find uh, some transcriptions and things on there. So I check, I recommend that you join the mailing list. It's a good way to just get a direct email for new episodes and for direct access to, to episode pages. Um, like the Facebook page, Luke's English Podcast is on Facebook. I've been on Facebook for forever. So uh, like the Facebook page and, you know, I, I often chat with uh, uh, with people in little ways, like I post uh, things, post photographs and other stuff on there. And then, you know, you'll see lots of Lepsters uh, commenting and, and things like that. That's nice. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I am on Twitter, of course. My Twitter handle is at English Podcast, at English Podcast. Uh, that's, my, that's my name on Twitter, which is pretty weird because uh, 
I mean, I use Twitter for my podcast stuff, but I also use it for my comedy stuff as well. So anytime I am performing in a comedy show, um, people tweet, you know, about the show, and there's usually a, a list of names in the tweet, like, you know, tonight I'm performing at uh, the French Fried Comedy Night with all these people, with at Paul Taylor and Sarah Donnelly and Robert Hain, and then at English Podcast. That's my name, apparently, on Twitter. So I bet people look at that and go, who is this English podcast? Is that his name? Mr. Podcast. Hello, Mr. Podcast. Nice to meet you. What's your first name? My name. My first name's English. The name's English. Uh, the name's Podcast. English Podcast. Um, so I have become a podcast, apparently, on Twitter. Anyway, at English Podcast, and you can get my tweets and things like that. Um, Luke's English Podcast is on iTunes, so you can do me a big favour by leaving a lovely positive review on iTunes. Okay, um, if you like the podcast, if you if you think that it's good, if you want to recommend it, then um, leave a comment, a nice review on iTunes, because that's uh, a really important sort of um, what's the word for it? It's like a little sales page. Anyone who's never listened to this, they might find it on iTunes and have a look at some of the reviews, and the reviews will kind of. Um, be a really important factor in making those people decide to listen or not. So leave a leave a nice review if you like the podcast. If you don't like the podcast, just don't just don't say anything, uh, please. Um, well, you can say whatever you want. I don't care. I don't care. But uh, hopefully, if you if you want to support me, if you want to pay me back for the time I've spent talking to you here, uh, then you could uh, leave a nice review on iTunes. That would be very nice indeed. Thank you very much. There's a police siren there uh, that you could hear outside, which is, which has just stopped now that uh, I'm. Oh, there it is. It's the most inconsistent siren. Make up your mind, siren. Are you going to make noise or not? Is there an emergency or not? Um. Okay. So leave reviews on iTunes if you fancy it, and generally just you know tell your tell your friends about Luke's English podcast. Spread the word. Word of mouth is the best way to do that. Um, so that just a few sort of uh, requests or recommendations there in terms of, uh, you know, keeping up with the podcast and stuff. Um, weather report. I have to give a weather report, don't I, in every episode? So here's my weather report. It's um, it's uh, the weather continues to be strange, ladies and gentlemen, here in uh, in Paris, in the capital, the capital of France. The weather continues to be strange in um, the middle of June. Um, today it's a mixture of sunshine and showers sunshine and showers uh, say that as sean connery could you it's a it's a mixture of sunshine and showers now oh, that's a good one for the sean connery uh, enthusiast out there uh miss money penny as you can see that uh, uh it, <laughs> what would sean connery say i don't know what he would say why would sean connery talk about the weather would james bond talk about the weather i don't know has he ever talked about the weather ah mr bond i see that uh I see that you've arrived on time for your meeting with them. Yes, well, uh, I decided to set out early since uh, the weather forecast had said that we'd be experiencing sunshine and showers all morning. Why, Mr. Bond, your conversation level has become so boring. Yes, well, uh, I've been listening to Luke's English podcast. Okay, I'm being a bit self-deprecating there, suggesting that Money Penny would consider Sean Connery or James Bond's conversational level to be boring after listening to Luke's English podcast. Maybe it should go the other way. Maybe it should be like, "Ah, oh, Mr. Bond, you're here for the meeting with M, I imagine." Yes, that's right, Money Penny. I'm, I'm here, and uh, it, what a lovely day it is—sunshine uh, and yet showery. 
Uh, an interesting combination. Oh, Mr. Bond, your level of conversation about the weather is so intoxicating. Take me now. Yes, this is the effect of listening to Luke's English podcast on a daily basis. That's obviously the much more realistic um, outcome of listening to the podcast, isn't it? That uh, your level of conversation in English just becomes incredibly uh, uh, interesting to the point where anyone you talk to just immediately falls for you. Um, So the weather report here, sunshine and showers. Um, I got caught in the rain earlier. I I popped outside and uh, the heavens opened. I got completely caught in the rain. Very strange. Anyway, there's the weather. Uh, Lunch report. Lunch. I have to give you a report on what I ate for lunch. I don't know why this is important, uh, but apparently it is. So I had uh, a bento for lunch. A bento. What's a bento, Luke? Uh, Well, my Japanese listeners will definitely know what that is. Uh, Obento. It's a kind of. uh, It's basically what they call a lunchbox, but it's it's like a meal, but in which all the ingredients of the meal are placed in their own little compartments in a box. It's like a specially designed tray for eating these for eating a lunch and you have like a bit of fish and that goes in the fish section you've got like a piece a bit of rice that goes in the rice section you've got various little mysterious vegetables i'm not quite sure what they all are but they go in their own little sections as well it's delicious and healthy and brilliant uh that's the bento box i like the convenient nature of the box every everything in its right place. Every bit of food has got its own separate compartment. It's, it's so organised. It's brilliant. Um, you know, so that the food doesn't get mixed up because sometimes you don't want fish in your rice. You don't want rice in your mysterious vegetables, I suppose. So there you go. Anyway, I had a bento box and it's an authentic Japanese one because I live uh, not far from the Japanese part of town. I'm probably about 10 to 15 minutes away on foot. And there is an area near the Opera District um, of Paris, near the centre of town, where they have a couple of streets and they're, they're full of uh, Japanese and Korean restaurants. And um, you know that they're the real deal because the people who work in the shops are Japanese or Korean. So the place I like to go is, what's it called? Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Um Uh, Anyway, but it's a place where you can get bento boxes. They specialise in in serving bentos. And all the staff there are all Japanese, so they're all, you know, talking in Japanese to each other and stuff. It's very nice. It's like going back to Japan for me. And I, you know, I get my salmon bento and I pick a a nice cold bottle of oolong tea, oolong cha. And sometimes I'll have a beer if I'm, you know, if I'm feeling the mood. I might have a kirin ichiban or an asahi or something. And uh, I can settle down and eat my eat my lunch, and it's really good. So there you go. That's my my lunch report. I had a nice, satisfying Japanese lunch, um, and so thank you, Japan. Thanks for thanks for inventing the bento. I think you did uh, a very good job there with with the bento. So good good job. Well done. Anyone else? Anyone else out there who's never had a bento? What are you doing with your life? You need to you need to find a bento and you need to eat that bento. Okay. If you're wondering where to get a bento from um you could try japan that might be a good place to start okay if you're wondering you might now be thinking but luke i can't go to japan well i don't know write a letter write a letter to japan and say dear japan please could you send some of your people to my town so that you can make bentos 
and give them to me. I'll pay you money. I'll pay you good money. So if you could, you know, please just contact the emperor or the prime minister or whoever is responsible for, you know, the bentos, the the, the ministry of bento boxes. Um, get someone on the case so that you can get bentos uh, in a town near you. Um, all right, then what else? Comedy shows in Paris. I think that um, I should probably tell my audience about the various comedy shows that we have in Paris, okay? That's because um, I have an audience who listen to this podcast and I feel like it's my duty to use this to try and tell you about the shows because I'm, I'm trying to support uh, English language comedy uh, in Paris here. I know that most of you, the vast majority of you, aren't in Paris, but there might be some of you who uh, will listen to this and then decide to come to a show. And then, you know, I will have done my bit for the, for the marketing drive for this, um, this fairly sort of uh, fresh and new scene which needs your support. If you're not in Paris, well, you know, you could bear it in mind if you come into this area, if you come in this direction and you're wondering what to do, for example, if you're coming here for the Euros or something, you could come and see one of these shows, all right? And again, if you're not coming to Paris and you've got no intention of coming to Paris, then you'll just have to enjoy the words that you're about to hear now and just just simply enjoy the sounds of English for about five minutes. So there are a few different shows that you could check out, uh, all of them in English. There are plenty of French shows as well, but I'm assuming that you want to see them in English. So, of course, your first that your the the first show that you would come to see would be Sorry, We're English, um, which is a stand-up comedy show featuring Paul Taylor and me. And um, in Sorry, We're English, um, we. Paul does half an hour, I do half an hour, and we talk about being English and the, you know, the experiences of being English men living in Paris and, uh, the, you know, the cultural misunderstandings. It's hilarious. Um, and that is at the Pan Am Art Café every Thursday at 8pm. Um, it's free. Uh, you just need to buy a drink, uh, but entry is free. That's nice, isn't it? You'll definitely get your money's worth on that one. Ha, ha, ha. Um, So that's every Thursday at 8pm. And if you visit the page for this episode, you will see links for these shows. So you can just click those links and then find the shows. All right. Um, Also, uh, there's a show called Le Best of French Fried Comedy Night. So that's the best of the French Fried Comedy Night. And that's various comedians. They have a a plateau of different comedians from different parts of the world. And they all come up and do their their thing. And that's every Thursday at 9.30pm in a place called the Théâtre de 10 Heures, the Theatre of 10 Hours, the Théâtre de 10 Heures, which is in Pigalle uh, in Paris. Pigalle, that's, uh, that's not far from the Moulin Rouge. It's just like, you know, one or two minutes away from the Moulin Rouge in the sort of... what It's the sort of sexy district of Paris. I say sexy. It's a bit seedy, to be honest. It's a bit sort of... It's kind of like the seedy area where you find lots of sex shops and things like that. It's pretty funny, to be honest. It's a pretty funny area because it's basically sex shop, sex shop, pharmacist, sex shop, sex shop, boulangerie, sex shop, sex shop, comedy show. You know, that's kind of the way it is. So every Thursday at 9.30 and I perform at that show quite regularly as well. Then uh, Paul Taylor. Uh, Mr. Paul Taylor is doing his one-man show uh, regularly. His show is called Hashtag Franglais. And the interesting thing about his show is that it's half in French and half in English because he's bilingual. So he's catering to the bilingual market. And he does his show half in French and half in English. And it's not like half an hour in English and then he switches to French for half an hour. No, it's like sentence by sentence. 
Some of the sentences are in English. Some of the sentences are in French. Some stories are in English. Some stories are in French. And it's fascinating and very, very funny. And at the moment, he's doing that every Friday at 8pm at the So Gymnast Comedy Club. That's at the moment. I think he's going to change venue um, and also, there will be other dates. I think there are other dates that he's doing. Um, you should check out Paul's website for more information at paultaylorcomedy.com. Um, also, check out Paul's podcast, which is called Becoming a Comedian. You can also find that on his website, paultaylorcomedy.com. Um, the New York Comedy Night is probably the, the show that's been going the longest in Paris. That's hosted by Sebastian Marx. It features various comedians from around the world. And that's every Friday at 9.30 at the So Gymnast Comedy Club. The So Gymnast, that's, uh, that's in a large theatre, this really fantastic looking building. The, the theatre, the main theatre is called the Théâtre du Gymnase Mary Bell, I think. Théâtre du Gymnase. And it's in this grand looking building. And so I imagine when you come to see a show there, you arrive and you go, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at the size of this theatre. It looks beautiful. And then you realise that the English show is upstairs, in a little room upstairs, not in the main theatre. But it's a cool room. They do cocktails and things in there, and it's nice. It's got a nice lounge vibe. It's really good. Sarah Donnelly, uh, the American Sarah Donnelly, she's been on this podcast before, but not for a while. She is now doing a one-woman show, um, which is called Help, I Married a Frenchman. And it's all about her life in, in Paris, um, including uh, the uh, interesting story of how she married her French husband um, and other, other things like that. Um, and that's Saturdays at 8pm at the So Gymnast Comedy Club. Um, after that, you have the Great British American Comedy Night, which is one of those international comedy shows. I perform there sometimes. Saturdays at 9.30 after Sarah's show at the So Gymnast. Sebastian Marx has his one-man show, which is going, which has been going for ages, and that's called A New Yorker in Paris, and that's Fridays at 8pm at the Apollo Theatre. Um, I think it's Fridays at 8pm at the Apollo Theatre, but just check the website and you can find out. Um, also, if you want to try doing stand-up yourself, if you've never done it before or you're just curious about doing it yourself, if you've got some things to say, you think you could be funny, um, then um, there is an open mic night in Paris and it's, it's called the French Fried Comedy Open Mic Night with Vanessa Starr. And that's an open mic. That means that anyone can perform. Just arrive 30 minutes in advance and put your name on the list and then you can get up and, you know, try and make the audience laugh. That's exciting. That's really fun and exciting. I remember uh, my first open mic nights. Uh, they were really good fun because you never know what's going to happen and you can just, you feel nervous, but you've got some things to say. Sometimes they go brilliantly and, and everyone laughs. Sometimes they're a total nightmare and you make a complete fool of yourself. It's always, um, you know, an interesting and weird experience. And the French Fried Open, uh, the French Fried Comedy Open Mic Night is on Wednesdays at 6pm at the Pan Am Art Cafe. All right. Now, um, Let's talk about Brexit and let's talk about football. Freck, frutball, brut, brutball, or <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know, frutball and X. Uh, oh, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to combine Brexit and football. And considering Brexit is already a, uh, a combination, it's already a what's the word for that? Portmanteau? Port? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, it's Brexit's already a combination word. Brexit, ball, bricks. Anyway, Brexit is a funny word, isn't it? Brexit. It, to me, it sounds like a, a breakfast cereal. 
It's like the sort of thing you would eat in the morning. It's like, hmm, wake, wake up to Brexit every morning, you know? Um, Brexit, the sunshine breakfast. It sounds like that. Like, oh, nice bowl of Brexit there. Yum, yum, yum. With a, with a bit of credit crunch on top as well. Yum, yum. Mm. Brexit with credit crunch. Lovely. With added liquidity. Yeah, that's a little joke there for the, all the economists listening to this podcast. So Brexit and football. So um, Paris is full of football fans um, at the moment because of the Euros. Um, I was out in Pig Al last night um, because of the comedy show, not the sex shops. No, it was the comedy show. That's why I was there. Um, and I was out there and the, the place was full of football fans. It was really cool, actually, because there were so many different fans from so many different countries all hanging around. And the atmosphere was actually very good. There was no sense of trouble, no sense of violence or anything. It feels like the violence has stopped. I, I mean, I haven't been fully keeping up with all of the news. So it might be the case that there have been some problems in some places. But as far as I'm aware, the violence is, is sort of died down a bit. And generally, the mood outside last night was a lot of fun. And there were crowds of supporters. Um, the Welsh fans were on particularly good form. They were all singing and getting drunk and generally being quite merry and of good value. They were making a lot of noise on the metro, which probably pissed off all the locals. But that's not difficult to do. I imagine all the French people were like, oh, putain, oh la la. Although, actually, I saw some of the French locals getting into it and smiling and laughing at all the drunken Welsh people and English people and Irish people and German people and, and Polish people and Ukrainian people who were, who were having fun uh, in the city yesterday. Um, so that was, that was good fun. Uh, a few results. Let's go through some Euro 2016 results. Um, so this is... Are we in week two now? I think we are. So Slovakia beat Russia. Um, and France beat Albania. It took them enough time, but eventually they got two goals in there. And then yesterday, England versus Wales. Um, oh, yeah, there was, there was Switzerland-Romania as well. Can't forget that. 1-1 between Switzerland and Romania on Wednesday. England versus Wales was yesterday, and I went down to the local sports bar to watch that. I managed to take some time out and go down and watch that, and so I sat in the bar uh, and there were various English and Welsh people sitting around the bar watching it too. And, um, well, we won. We won 2-1. We beat Wales. I kind of I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Wales because they did really well. They, they scored a goal in the first half. And, um, in fact, it was 1-1 for most of the second half. We, we scored an equaliser in the sort of the middle of the second half. And um, it looked like Wales were either going to win or going to uh, hold us to a draw. And there were shots of the Welsh supporters in the audience all singing and dancing in the audience and getting really emotional, getting car carried away with the, uh, the emotion of the game. And it was just really great. I just felt like the Welsh fans were brilliant. Just the manner that they carried themselves with uh, was really great and just really good spirit. And, you know, they don't normally, uh, let's face it, they don't normally do, do very well in international football competitions. Um, so it's great to see them competing uh, in the Euros and, um, and doing pretty well. But in the end, yeah, we did manage to score two goals uh, against them. Um, it was difficult, but we did it. I'm not, I, I mean, England were okay in the second half. I think the main reason for that is that Roy Hodgson brought on a couple of substitutes 
um, which sort of changed um, our approach. And that was the right thing to do. So we, we in the first half, Wales scored a goal against us. It was uh, Gareth Bale, um, who f- exploited a little problem. It was uh, our goalkeeper. Um, our goalkeeper left a large amount of space open. He kind of positioned himself wrong. He made a mistake and Gareth Bale spotted it and he, you know, slotted the ball into the goal, exploiting this mistake that our our keeper had made by kind of leaving a large gap on one side. Because the goalkeeper, one of the things the keeper has to do is try and stand in a central position. The keeper should be aware of of, of where he's standing in, in front of the goal. He should probably stand a little bit forwards in order to, um, you know, shut down the angles. Um because you know when when the goalkeeper when when you're when you're facing the goal and the goalkeeper is in front of you, um, uh, if the goalie is close to you, then obviously he's much bigger and the goal is smaller. If the goalkeeper is further away, then he's smaller and the goal is bigger. You see, so it's about shutting down the uh, the space. And maybe he could have positioned himself better. So he's probably feeling a bit lucky that uh, we didn't lose that game. Uh, so Wales scored in the first half. In the second half, uh, Roy Roy Hodgson brought on a couple of substitutes. So I think that really made the difference. He brought on Vardy and who was the other guy he brought on? Oh dear, this is where I'm showing my lack of uh, memory for for names. Anyway, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, it it worked because um, we we got two goals. They were scrappy goals. They weren't that convincing. In fact, it, I'm I'm still not completely convinced by our attacking abilities. Um, we didn't really get many shots on goal throughout the game. We did dominate. We did, especially in the second half. We dominated, but that's partly because Wales were playing very deep. Okay, now deep. This is one of those words that you hear commentators use in English to go deep, to play deep. Um, and depth as well. So um, deep in football just means like when you're far into one of the halves. So let's say if you're if you're playing, you can be deep um, at, in when you're attacking, and you can be deep when you're defending. All right. So if you're defending and you play you play deep, it means the whole team is sitting deep inside your own half. So. The whole team is like very far back, close to their own goal, occupying the space sort of in, you know, uh, at the end, let's say. That's that's called playing deep. And it's a defensive strategy because you fill the, um, you know, your half full of your players and it's, it's, it's more difficult for the opposing team to get through and get access to the goal. Okay, so that's playing deep. And also to go deep, if you're attacking and you go deep, that's when players manage to move deep inside the uh, the opponent's half. Okay, so you hear these expressions to go deep, uh, to play deep as well. We also have the expression strength in depth. Depth in a football team refers to the skill set that you have within your squad. So uh, if you've got a lot of depth in your squad, it means that you've got uh, lots of good players to choose from. Okay. Um, so a lot of depth. Now, some teams, they don't have much depth because they don't have many really great players to choose from. So there's not much depth. Other teams have got a lot of depth. They've got lots of great players that they can choose from. All right. So you, you might hear about strength in depth, meaning the strength, the overall strength of the team. And the, the manager has got a lot of players in his whole squad, not just on the pitch, but sitting on the bench that he can choose from. All right. Um, so 
Wales were playing very deep. They were playing a very defensive strategy after they scored their first goal. I think what they were doing is just trying to defend their lead and defend the the 1-1 result as well. And England, you know, were the, most of the game was played in Wales's half and uh England were desperately trying to get the ball in the back of the net, but again, we weren't really getting many convincing shots on target. And you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day in football, it's all about goals, isn't it? You've got to hit the target. So I think we need to step that up. We've got to start finding the the target more often, more regularly, if we're going to get any further through this competition. But we're looking okay um, now. Um, the, the the table uh, is looking pretty good for England, um, and I guess we're now in top position. Uh, I think we are. Uh, Germany and Poland. It was a nil nil draw. Uh, so well done to Poland for managing to defend yourselves against uh, Germany. German, the Germans there being one of the strongest teams in the competition. So I, I have to say that that was uh, probably a very good performance by Poland, being able to sort of lock lock the team lock the match down and prevent Germany from um, getting any goals there. Um, so good result for Poland. Not such a good result for Germany. You know, you would have thought that they would score a goal because they're you know they're they're extremely good side um even they might not be as good as they were in the last world cup but they're still very strong i think northern ireland northern ireland beat ukraine 2-0 that's a great result for northern ireland absolutely great result northern ireland is a small it's a small country and it's a small team uh, they are genuine minnows and they they don't really win big games like this and so that is a fantastic result for Northern Ireland and I really hope that England, Wales and Northern Ireland all go through um, somehow I, I think that would just be good for me obviously because I'm I'm a Brit um, so we've got other games going on at the moment Italy are playing Sweden right now as I record this and it's nil-nil at this stage later on today we've got Czech Republic versus Croatia and Spain versus Turkey so that's like a little bit of a, a summary of what's going on there um, what's been going on oh did I mention I'm sure I missed something Iceland Iceland and Portugal that was a good game it was 1-1 so Iceland played played really really well um, to managed to hold Portugal to a draw. Portugal are a strong team. Iceland aren't traditionally that strong, but they managed to raise their game against Portugal. They defended very strongly. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, the famous Portuguese player, an amazing talent, he complained about uh, the match strategy of Iceland, complaining that Iceland were too conservative. They just defended and um, he thought it was unfair that they that they played boring football or that they were too conservative. So, And also, I, I understand that Cristiano Ronaldo refused to shake the hands of the Icelandic players and things like that. Come on, Cristiano, show a bit more class, would you please? Show some class, mate. I know that you're an outstanding player. No one's doubting it. And I'm talking to you, Cristiano, because obviously you're you're attending this meeting because uh, everyone is attending the meeting. Of course, everyone listens to this podcast, don't they? So you're an outstanding talent, Cristiano, but just is it necessary to, to complain like that? You're acting like a spoilt child, all right? Just because you didn't win, they defended themselves against you, mate. That's what that's what they were there to do. A one-one draw is a good result for them. So you know, just show a bit, of cl- show some class, would you, mate? Um, 
I honest, I wonder if he is listening to this. Actually, I doubt it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he's got more important things to do, like complain about Iceland and uh, train for the Euros and spend money and appear in advertising and things like that. But you never know. Maybe someone's like Cristiano, Cristiano, like texting him, Cristiano, Luke's. Thompson from Luke's English Podcast is saying stuff about you on his podcast. Stop what you're doing. Stop the rigorous training procedure. Stop the advertising, the the extremely well-paid advertising, and listen to his podcast. He's been sa- he's been talking about you. Um, yeah, okay. So anyway, there's the Euros. Um, I'm just glad to say that the violence seems to have sort of died down. That's 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 good. That's nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, what else? What else is going on? Brexit. Brexit is less than a week away. And um, I mean, if you're in the UK or if you're following the UK's news, then it's all about it's all about Brexit. And it's also about other weird stuff that's going on. Um, But yes, Brexit, nobody still no one seems to know what's going to happen. There has been a swing, it seems, towards the leave side. The polls seem to show that there is a slight swing in their direction. So, I mean, I think the last time I spoke to you, the polls were saying that the Remain side was was um, uh, in the lead, but it seems that it's swung towards the, the Leave side now. And I wonder how it's going to go over the next uh, six days. Is it going to swing back to the Remain side? I don't know, really. I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of commentary about it. Um, and a lot of, you know, differences of, of opinion. It's still pretty much 50-50 split. One thing is for sure, one thing that both sides can agree on, everyone's an idiot, all right? Everyone's wrong, uh, according to someone. So everyone's disagreeing with each other. You get uh, people writing what appears to be the final word, you know, on a in, in an article or a, a very long Facebook post, people are sort of sort of saying, right, I've had enough of this and here's the situation. And then they write out a long post and then you think, that's it, they've answered all the questions. And then you look at the comments and then someone has posted a very intelligent response uh, that disagrees with it. So the, the opinions are all over the place. No one seems to be able to agree on even some of the most basic things, like, for example, what the EU actually is and what it's there to do and whether or not it's democratic and who's the good guy and who's the bad guy it's not really clear no one even seems to know where the uk is like are we actually in europe or are we not in europe uh technically we are in the eu of course but a lot of people think that we're not in europe of course because we're an island and there's just that stretch of water we're an island and that is actually one of the arguments for some of the brexiteers they they cite this as a uh, an argument like the UK is an independent nation we've always been separate from Europe we are a proud island nation that's the argument that they're an island we're an island we're an independent island nation and we've we always have been meanwhile Ireland Ireland are saying sorry Britain that's not an argument because we're an island we're even called Ireland we're more of an island with than you. We're, in a way, we're an island off an island. We're like a double island. And we're called island. And we want to be in the EU. So your whole argument, your whole island argument is invalid, okay? Um, meanwhile, Northern Ireland are just happy to be in the Euro 16 football championships, aren't they? You know, they're just like, we made it! They're just chuffed to be in the in the Euros. England, of course, as we know, are in the Euros as well. And um, um, 
you know that's that's uh, a, a work in progress. England, in fact, I don't know if you know about this, but England considered having a referendum on the football. Um, yeah, the options were: should we exit the tournament in the first round, or lose on penalties to Germany? Yes, a little bit of topical humour there about uh, about the football. The uh, England's football referendum: should we exit the tournament in the first round or lose on penalties to Germany? And polls show that it's a fifty-fifty split. Ha 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 ha! Hilarious comedy here on Luke's English podcast. Um, I personally think that the UK should stay in the EU, and there are lots of reasons uh, for that. Um, my own personal selfish reasons are uh, uh, not just because I believe in the European project, but also I just I really can't stand doing French paperwork. French paperwork is a nightmare. There's tons of it. There's way too much. It's really complicated. And I know that if we leave the EU, I'm going to get a lot of letters from the government. You know, I'm going to have to deal with all of the legal ramifications of my status in France and all that kind of thing. And it's going to involve a lot of paperwork. Just to give you an idea of how complicated it is, whenever... Whenever you ask foreign people who are living in France what is annoying about living here, obviously there are many brilliant things. The bread is delicious. Well done, France. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, But also plenty of other things. It's a fantastic place. But when you ask people what's annoying, then one of the most common things is, is that they talk about the admin, the administration and the paperwork. There's a hell of a lot of paperwork here. I don't know why, but it, everything's so complicated. I'll give you an example, right? Um, because I live here and I pay taxes here, I have to have a social security number. And so you have to apply for um, what's called a carte vitale, like a health insurance card. And it took me two years to get my, my carte vitale. It took me two years. Um, and a lot of that is because of the admin, all the paperwork. So first of all, just applying for the thing in the first place was like trying to apply for like uh, some impossible job. It was like the most difficult job application I've ever done. So they required me to give them um, an updated, recently issued and officially stamped birth certificate from my own country. And it, it couldn't be like my original birth certificate. It had to be a new one. Like I had to get, you know, the 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 government in the UK to to produce a new birth certificate with a date and a dated stamp on it. I don't know why that's necessary. What's wrong with the old the old one? You know, is there any chance that I've how can you how why is it necessary? I haven't you want to check that I haven't like been born again in since I was originally born? I don't know how that works. Um, so they ask you for that. They ask you for all these different uh, other documents and, and things like that. And you have to photocopy them and send them off. And so what happened is I got all my stuff together. I've you know managed to apply for all these things, got my new birth certificate and everything like that, and sent it off to the, to the office. And I imagine what happened then is that my, my package arrived at the office and it just went straight onto the bottom of their pile. There's probably some person sitting behind a desk in some big office building, God knows where, in France somewhere, uh, in some bureaucratic office. And there's a big pile of applications and mine just went right on the bottom uh, of the the pile. And then after God knows how many weeks of cigarette breaks and coffee breaks and, and uh, holidays and public holidays and things like that, eventually the person in the office got to my report, got to my application, and they looked through the application and they noticed that all of my documents were out of date. 
because it had taken them so long to get to it. It's taken me so long to get all the documents together. By the time the person actually comes to process my application, all the documents are out of date. So what do they do? They send the whole thing back to me and they say, your, uh, your, all of your documentation is out of date. Please uh, send us your updated documents in order for us to be able to process your, your carte vitale. Right. So at that point, I get the letter. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, I have to do this all again. So then I go through the process again, trying to get all of the updated documents again, putting it all together in a package and sending it off to the office. And then it goes to the bottom of the pile. And by the time the person gets to read it, all the documents are out of date again. So they have to send it back to me. And this went on for two years. Two years. Thank God I didn't break my leg or something. Although Although I did have a, a temporary solution, which was the European Health Insurance Card, which is a sort of cover. It's a kind of insurance cover, which is one of the benefits of being in the EU, actually, that any any member of the EU gets to have this insurance card and it can pay for some of your, your medical fees if you get sick or if you get injured in the in the EU. If the UK leaves the EU, then we won't have that. We might need to negotiate something else, but I wonder if they, you know, we'd be able to negotiate something as good as that. But uh, so any British people, if we leave, any British people who go skiing in the Alps, in the French Alps or something, uh, in the winter, if anyone, any of them have uh, an injury, then that's going to be very expensive, isn't it? It's going to be very costly. It's going to be very difficult to get healthcare and, and emergency healthcare and stuff like that. So anyway, two years of me having to send my application in and them sending it back to me because the documents were out of date. And then I did it super fast, got all the documents together really quickly. And I instead of posting it, I actually went down to the office and handed it to a person. I, I had to actually look someone in the eyes and actually hand it to them and say, look, I am a human being. I exist. Look, I'm looking at you in the eye. I have... the." Th- I think the thing is, right, that here you have to say bonjour before you achieve anything in France. That's just a general rule. If you're coming to France and you want to achieve something, even like buying some bread in the supermarket, uh, you have to say bonjour first. Bonjour or bonsoir. That has to be the first thing you do. If you don't say that, then, you know, then just it's going to be more difficult. You have to say bonjour. It's like the magic word. And when you say that, the ice melts and suddenly then you can have a relationship. If you don't say bonjour, then you might be in trouble. Like, for example, you might go to a shop and say, uh, une baguette, s'il vous plaît. And, the, and the, the woman might go, bonjour. Ah, bonjour, une baguette, s'il vous plaît. Une baguette? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, and uh, so anyway, maybe that's what I had to do. I actually had to go to the office. Bonjour. Here's my application. I'm, look me in the eyes. There you are. There's the application. I did that. Guess what? A month later, carte vitale. Yes. Get in. So I actually have got my carte vitale now. Yes. Jurassic Park. Um, all right. So what was I talking about? French admin. So if the UK leaves the EU... I'm going to have to do a lot of more admin. So please, I've any British people, please don't vote to leave. That's a stupid idea. Um, also, if we do leave, if the UK does leave the EU, then um, there, I hope the Brexiteers realise that there will be consequences if we go. There will be negotiations. The UK and, and Europe will have to negotiate lots of things. There's going to have to be a lot of complicated agreements. For example, Europe might ask for all of its stuff back. You know, Europe, it might be like a breakup, you know, like a breakup between a boyfriend and girlfriend where they have to separate all the stuff. 
And she's like, yeah, those are mine. That's mine. Those records are mine. And uh, so Europe might ask for all of its stuff back. You know, France might say to Britain, okay, Britain, um, so you've left, you've left the, the EU, fine. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, fine. Um, but uh, I think you've got some of our stuff and we'd like you to return it, please. For example, cheese. We'll have all of our cheese back. Thank you. And England say, okay, that's fine. That's for, you can have your cheese, France. It's okay. We've got our own cheese. We've got British cheese. France goes, mm-hmm, okay, good luck with that. Um, uh, yes, Britain, we also, uh, we'll have all of our wine back as well, please, Britain. All of the wine. And Britain goes, uh, oh, okay, all right, that's fine. There you go, France. You can have all your wine back. And Italy and Spain and all the other wine-producing areas. Yes, okay, you can have all your wine back. That's fine. Um, that's okay, because we can, we can buy all our wine from our, our friends in Australia. Meanwhile, in Australia, they're going, raise the price, raise the price on the wine. What, 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 and the, raise the price and the quality. No, just the price. So um, that's, that's Australia. They might be asking for their wine back. Um, who else? Uh, France. There's still plenty of things that France could take back. France at this point step in and they say, oh, yes, England, Britain, whatever you're called, whoever you are, the UK. Uh, romance. We'll have all of our romance, please. Because rom- I think you'll find that romance is a French concept. So we'll have the romance back. And England or Britain or the UK or whatever they're called. <laughs> England says, that's fine. You can have the romance. That's fine. We don't really understand it anyway. Um, we weren't using it. You can have it. We'll just go straight back to having functional sex. That's fine. Um, and uh, France go, well, there's still some other things that we need back. Table. We'll have table. We'll have all your tables. Table is a French word. Table's a French word, so we'll have all your tables. And Britain are like, well, that's going to make life complicated, isn't it? It's going to be inconvenient. Where are we going to put all of our drinks? Where are we going to put our cups of tea and our pints of beer? And at this point, Germany, Belgium and the Netherlands all arrive and they say, uh, talking of beer, uh, Britain, um, we'll have all of the lager, please. We'll have all of our lager back. That's it. Give us the lager. At this point, Britain realises what's happening. The, the reality sets in and they're like, oh, God, no, not the lager. Oh, dear. And, uh, and then Ireland arrive. Ireland step in and say, and we'll have all of the Guinness back as well. Um, basically, um, Europe is going to keep asking all of its stuff back uh, um, until basically Britain is just standing there. The only thing they've got left is just one potato. That's all they have left. And even then, you know, and Scotland as well. Let's not forget about Scotland. Scotland are going to say, oh, and we'll have all of our whiskey, please. And James Bond. And England says, what the hell are you talking about? You're, you're not in Europe, Scotland. You're in the UK. And Scotland says, oh, yes, we left when you weren't looking. Um, yeah, we had to go back to... Uh, yeah, we left our jacket in Europe. We had to go back. So England are then left on their own with Wales and Northern Ireland. And uh, yeah, we're just left there with a, just a potato. And then Ireland say to England... Well, yeah, now you know how we feel, you stupid bastards. So that's obviously what's going to happen. So I hope that we stay in the EU to avoid all of these complications, um, I, I think. Um, but, you know, there's the, the Brexiteers are still uh, going on about their usual arguments, like the threat of immigration, although it's not really been proven that, uh, you know. I don't know if you saw what happened with Nigel Farage 
Did you see this on the news? Nigel Farage, he's the leader of UKIP. He's one of the most outspoken um, proponents of the Leave campaign. Um, I can't stand him. I'll be honest, I can't stand him anymore. I can't stand his grinning face. His grinning face with his beer breath and his cigarette coat, his nicotine-stained teeth and that big, big grinning face of his. His big, sweaty, shiny, grinning face. Too much beer and cigarettes. I imagine that if I was an English footballer, right, if I was a professional English footballer playing in the Euros, trying to score a goal, I think that would be a distracting image. Because you know those moments when you know, those moments of pressure, those moments of glory. Let's say you've got the ball and you're about to try and score a goal against Germany or it's a penalty situation against Germany. The pressure's on. You know, you see your life flashing before your eyes. You step up to take the penalty. And at the very last, mo- at the very last moment, you think of your country, you think of England. And these images of England come flashing through your mind. And the one that sticks there is the f- image of the grinning Nigel Farage and you'd you'd miss, wouldn't you? You'd miss. You'd miss. It would be it would be distracting. You'd miss the goal. Um, so, um, yeah. The what happened with Nigel Farage? There was this thing um, where, in a in a in order to protest against the European Union, um, just a few days ago, Nigel Farage gathered together a bunch of fishermen, and um, he said to them, "Okay, lads, um, stop your fishing for the day." I know that you're going to lose a lot of money doing this, but it'll be worth it. All the fishermen are like, um, really? And Nigel Farage goes, yeah, because of bent bananas and immigrants. It'll be worth it. And the, all the fishermen go, yeah, okay. So he got all the fishermen together and a bunch of fishing boats and they went up the River Thames and they were flying flags and generally sort of uh, trying to campaign for the UK to leave. This big flotilla of boats. A flotilla is like a big collection of boats that all all travel together in one unit. So this big flotilla with Nigel Farage there in his pinstripe suit with his brass buttons, his grinning face. And um, it was hilarious because suddenly uh, on, a, on another boat, there was a bunch of Remain... Uh, protesters uh, protesting against the f- the flotilla, and uh, one of the people on the boat was Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof was a um, and still is uh, a campaigner for human rights, and he's a charity worker. And he used to be a rock star. He was in the, a band called the Boomtown Rats, and he's the guy who organised the Live Aid concert and the Band Aid concert, and also Live Eight. That those huge rock concerts for charity to try to um you know alleviate the the uh the famine that was happening in Sudan and Ethiopia in Africa during the 1980s um you must have seen footage of live aid some of the most famous footage is of queen freddie mercury and queen 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 what am i talking about freddie mercury and queen performed at live aid uh live aid famously in the 1980s and it was amazing um and they did a uh, they raised loads of money for charity and bob geldof is generally he's a bit crazy he's a bit of a an eccentric he's actually irish originally um but he lives in the uk he's a bit of an eccentric and and so on uh but he's 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 great i think and he 
uh, arrived on another boat and uh, with a few other uh, people for the Remain campaign. And he had a big loudspeaker and he was shouting at Nigel Farage through the loudspeaker. It was hilarious. I think I can play some of it to you. Okay, what we're going to play to you here is just some um, of the coverage from a YouTube sort of news channel called The The Lip TV. Um, And I I guess I'll leave the link for this video on the page, but I'm just going to play some of it to you. You can hear uh, some some details of the story, and also um, you'll hear Bob Geldof uh, saying comments to Nigel Farage through the loudspeaker. Here it is. As they were going down, as they were approaching Westminster they were approached by another boat, a pleasure cruiser, and on board that pleasure cruiser was none other than Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof started blasting loud music. Uh, Nigel Farage was somewhat awkwardly in the middle of a TV interview. He had to curtail the TV interview because he was being drowned out by the music coming from Bob's, uh, Bob's boat. And then Bob started haranguing Farage and calling him all sorts of different names and calling him out as a fraud and no friend of the, no friend of the fisherman. Let's take a look. You are no fisherman's friend. You were on the European Parliament Fishing Committee and you attended one out of 43 meetings. You're a fraud, Nigel. Go back down the river because you're up one without a canoe. So there was any number of instances. The police were then called. There was a helicopter flowing overhead. Uh, the, the Leave campaigners were started squirting uh, with, a, with, a, with a hose from one of the boats, was squirting the pleasure cruiser. People apparently boarded, certain people boarded Bob Geldof's boat and there was an altercation there. It's, it's curiously and somewhat quintessentially British. It is, by all accounts, from a lot of the journalists who've covered any number of these campaigns, one of the, the weirdest days in British politics. Yes, one of the weirdest days in British politics. What a what a weird moment. This kind of confrontation on uh, with Bob Geldof, the rock star, and Nigel Farage, the Eurosceptic, on boats. One of them, one boat shouting loud uh, comments at the other one, the other one squirting water through a hose. Weird moments, weird times in British politics. Um, and Bob Geldof there arguing that Nigel Farage was a fraud because Nigel's point is that he's protecting the fishermen, that he thinks that um, if the UK is in the European Union, it's bad for British fishermen because of the, the laws that come from the EU regarding, you know, how many, uh, how much fish can be caught and, uh, you know, which waters are accessible by which fishermen. And he thinks that it's bad for British fishermen. Really, the, the European Union is there to try to protect the, 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 the reserves of fish because if you fish too much, then um, there won't be any fish left because we're dealing with environmental issues and things like that. But um, no, Nigel, that's not good enough for Nigel Farage. He's, he basically, all he can see is that he, he doesn't see that picture. He doesn't see that it's necessary to regulate the fishing in order to, to, to actually protect the fish for the future. Um, instead, Farage... Um, professes to be the friend of the fisherman. But what um, Geldof was saying is that Nigel Farage was a fraud, which is quite quite a strong accusation, uh, because Farage didn't take part in votes on fishing laws in the European Parliament. He wasn't actually there to defend the rights of the fishermen at the time. Um, so why then is he now talking about it so loudly when at the time the law was passed, he didn't seem to, uh, care or want to do anything about it. Anyway, it's just an example of some of the weird, crazy stuff that's going on at the moment. Uh, as we get closer to this referendum, I'm sure that tension is going to get higher and higher as we move forwards. Um, anyway, that's fairly, that's kind of fun and lighthearted stuff.
But actually, there has been some really serious news, um, well, just in the last 24 hours. And that this is the moment where the podcast gets a bit more serious, all right? Uh, because, let's see, yesterday, um, I remember I got, a, I got a notification on my phone, and the notification basically said that a, a, a British MP called Joe Cox had been shot. And I thought, oh, my God, what now? Now what? I mean, this is only just, uh, what, a, a week or two after this horrific shooting, which happened in, in Orlando, another mass shooting in the United States. Um, and, you know, you, you, you must have read about that. It's the biggest mass shooting that, we, that has ever occurred in the USA. Uh, a man went into a gay club in Orlando uh, armed with a, a pistol and an assault rifle, and he started shooting people. It, um, I, I understand that um, he was associated with um, ISIS or associated with Daesh, um, the the you know the the Islamic State or or, or whatever we're supposed to call them. Uh, I understood that uh, Daesh. I don't know if he was associated with them, but it seems that Daesh um, claimed responsibility for him. They're like, yeah, he's one of ours. Yeah, yeah, we'll take that one. Um, and then it then it arose that um, I, I read reports of this. All right, that the guy who actually committed the shooting. This is the Orlando shooting, not the Joe Cox incident. I'm going to come to that. Um, the guy who actually did the shooting, it turns out, was a regular um, client at the club. And he was, uh, I, I, th I think he was a gay man himself who would go there to pick up other guys. This is what I read uh, in the newspapers. And so as soon as this news came out, I think that Daesh then were like, no, 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 he's nothing to do with us. No, we, we've got nothing to do with him. Um Anyway, horrific, absolutely horrific. And of course, now this is, is bringing the gun control um, subject straight back into the, um, the, the, the public discussion. And Donald Trump has, has said things about it. And he's, Trump has, has been typically insensitive about this. And he's not um, really, uh, he, he, he's, he's not speaking out against uh, weapons. He still defends the right to bear arms, and uh, it's it's just really really complex and weird. But coming back to the UK, then, so I got this notification on my phone yesterday that said that a British MP had been shot in England, and I thought, what on earth is this? So um, let's have a look at the details of the story. This is quite traumatic, especially when you think of the the UK. Obviously, it's it's one person compared to the fifty people in in the USA. Uh, but I mean, just personally for me, it's closer to home, and um, also it comes at a time in which um, there's a lot of conversation about immigration and about um, politics and and certain subjects and so it seems to be quite sickening um so i'm gonna find out some some details of the story so i can let you know okay so i'm, I'm reading from the bbc's website here and it says um th this is a, a story from um from yesterday it's probably been updated since then and it says joe cox mp dead after shooting attack and there's a picture of her uh, there, and it says an MP has died after she was shot and stabbed in a horrific assault in her constituency. Police have said um, the story is quite graphic. Um, it's you know, it's a person's been killed. Um, Joe Cox, Labour MP for Batley and Spen, 
was left bleeding on the ground after the attack in Burstall, West Yorkshire. A man was arrested nearby. One eyewitness told the BBC that they heard her attacker shout, put Britain first, at least twice beforehand. Tributes have flooded in from politicians, including David Cameron, Jeremy Corbyn, and also the American Secretary of State, John Kerry. Mrs Cox's husband, Brendan, said she would want people to unite to fight against the hatred that killed her. Um, Vote Leave and Vote Remain have both suspended campaigning in the EU referendum in the light of the attack. So the campaigning has stopped since this happened. Mrs Cox, uh, who was 41, is the first sitting Member of Parliament to be killed since 1990, when Ian Gow was the last in a string of politicians to die at the hands of Northern Irish terror groups. Um, the man... So who, who did this? Who killed her? The man taken into custody was arrested in Merkel, in, in Market Street, not far from Burstall Library, where Mrs Cox was holding a constituency surger, uh, surgery. So she was having a, a meeting with members of her constituency. He's been named locally uh, as Tommy Mayor. Hundreds of Mrs Cox's friends and colleagues gathered together for a vigil at St Peter's Church in Burstall earlier. Um, we don't really know the details. We don't really know why it's happened, but it seems at this stage that it's a politically motivated uh, killing. Um, and the man who did it, it seems, was a sort of neo-fascist English guy who, um, I guess, did it as a way of uh, as a way of um, taking revenge or as a way of. Um, um, striking out against the things that she believed in. Because Joe Cox was all about multiculturalism and she did a lot of work to um, defend the rights of, of, of uh, immigrants and she spoke up for the victims of the war in Syria and she made lots of very vocal uh, statements in favour of uh, a sympathetic approach to the individuals who have suffered uh, because of the conflict in Syria and she has a progressive attitude. She had a, progre a progressive attitude towards dealing with uh, uh, immigrants in, in, in the country. Um, and she was she had an inclusive point of view regarding religious faith. And she believed in tolerance of people's religious faiths and things like that. Um, and she was very vocal about these things. And she was doing a lot of work uh, on those things in her constituency. And apparently... Uh, I, again, I don't really know, but this is what seems to be the case, that the guy who killed her uh, was motivated by uh, his disagreement with, with the things she was doing. And he, he shot her um, um, as, a, as a protest against her position, which is obviously uh, sickening. And it's ironic as well. It's very ironic. And uh, Britain First, which is, a, I guess, a Facebook group, first and foremost... Britain First, they are a, basically they're a far right group who say that they stand up for British values. Essentially, they are sort of anti-immigration, anti-Islam um, group. And they do a lot of work on Facebook. They've, they've managed to gain a lot of supporters on Facebook. Britain First have um, put out a statement saying that they disagree with the idea that this guy represents the far right or neo 
fascist movement in the UK. And they said, don't let the actions of this individual um, um, uh, sort of colour your viewpoint of our movement, which is very ironic, isn't it? Because that's exactly what they do to Islam, that they take the actions of um, a tiny minority of extremist idiots, these violent uh, um, extremists, they look at the actions of those people and then they use it to to form opinions about the whole of Islam in general, uh, which is ironic because that's what that's exactly what they're complaining about. That when people say that this guy somehow is is representative of the neo-fascist movement in the UK, that um, that's somehow unfair. The whole thing is just ridiculous, and and. Um, I mean, this is no way to express your views. I mean, I would say this about uh, any kind of attack like this, that this is the worst kind of uh, inarticulacy. Um, and it's it's just sickening and it makes me very angry that someone thinks that this is the way to get your point across. It's just absolutely infuriating. Um, and... Uh, Yeah. It's a, it makes me emotional. She seemed to be a, a, a lovely person. I, I Obviously, I didn't know her. Um, and I, to be fair, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know about her existence before this happened. Um, and uh, But the things I've seen about her, she seemed to be a genuinely lovely person. This is just a, a tragedy. Um Hmm. They've, I saw a video on Facebook, which was like a little sort of report, I think, by The Guardian or the BBC about uh, about her. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. Uh, but um, it, it was a... Yes, this, this is it. I don't know if there's audio for this. Let's see. Right now. I'm elated. Okay, so, so this is like a, a video oh, how do you f- produced by Channel 4 News which sort of sums up who she was. Um, It's on Facebook. I don't think I can embed this on the page for the episode. And also, I don't know if you're going to be able to understand everything, but I'll play it to you anyway. You're going to hear little clips of her speaking um, and some other things. How do you feel right now? I'm elated, but I'm humbled that the people of Batley and Spen have put their trust in me to be your next Member of Parliament. But I'm very excited. And my husband and I have been up all night, along with many of our friends, and we, uh, we're, we're, we're just coming now to say thank you to people of Batley for voting. That's her saying thank you when she was voted in as the MP for her constituency. And it says, Joe Cox, MP, was a vocal anti-racism and pro-immigration campaigner. And Lion Confectionery. She used her maiden speech, her first speech in Parliament, to praise immigration in her area. So I'm sure our communities have been deeply enhanced by immigration, be it Irish Catholics across the constituency or Muslims from Indian Gujarat or Pakistan, principally from Kashmir. And whilst we celebrate our diversity, the thing that surprises me time and time again as I travel around the constituency is that we are far more united and have far more in common than that which divides us. She was staunchly pro-Remain. Her family took part in the referendum flotilla. I think that's 
the one I was talking about. Cox was 41 years old. She was married with two young children. Elected to Parliament in 2015, Cox and her family lived on a boat on the River Thames. Following her death, her husband tweeted this picture of his wife, and there's a picture of her standing by their boat. I'll be zipping down to the House of Commons, which is about half an hour away from where I, where I live on the boat, um, by, uh, by a little rib, a speedboat. Now this is the way to start the day, isn't it? In Syria, continue. Cox was a vocal advocate for the victims of the Syrian war. To starvation tactics, besiegement, and, imp- and, and attacks with impunity. She was chair. She was chairwoman of the all-party parliamentary Friends of Syria group. Isn't it time for a rethink in the UK strategy to focus? Much if more. we only focus on airstrikes against ISIS, we will... She abstained from voting on airstrikes in Syria, calling for a more ethical solution. Fail to understand this conflict. President Assad... That we urgently now need a mechanism with clear consequences to deter further barbaric attacks on civilians. I have raised repeatedly in this place the need for a no-bombing zone. Since her shooting, MPs have sent well-wishes to one of the kindest people. Cox described herself as a proud Yorkshire woman. I'm Batley and Spent, born and bred, and I could not be prouder of that. I'm proud that I was made in Yorkshire, and I'm proud of the things that we make in Yorkshire, and Britain should be proud of that too. I look forward to representing the great people of Batley and Spent here over the next five years. So, uh, this is a bloody tragedy. And um, now, you know, I, it's, it's such a complicated thing, but... Um, ex- I don't know. I'm going to stop talking about this because it's such a big subject and I, I'm not necessarily the guy with all the answers. You know, I'm just a, I'm just an English teacher after all. Um, but, um, you know, I was asked to talk about this by some of my listeners on the, on the website. And uh, I just hope that, uh, that this is not just something that's going to continue. I think this is just a symptom of the craziness of, of the times I'll let you you leave your thoughts and stuff on the website. Um, uh, So it's over to you, okay? But uh, let's not get into big arguments and things. Let's just, you know, keep it cool, calm and collected. Um, Let's not get any more emotional and um, argumentative than is necessary, okay? Let's just keep it cool. Uh, But I look forward to reading your comments. Uh, by the way, there will be some new episodes of the podcast coming up soon. I've got uh, episodes ready to, to be published. Uh, there will be an episode featuring Ollie Richards, um, the English polyglot, who always has interesting things to say about language learning. And also, I've prepared an episode about Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali. There's a, an episode about him coming up, uh, all about boxing, uh, Muhammad Ali's life. And um, I'm, I'm, I was particularly keen in that episode to talk about the story of the rumble in the jungle which was this incredible uh boxing match that he had with george foreman it's an amazing story uh and you can look forward to listening to that on the podcast soon okay but that's it for this episode which became serious at the end um thanks for listening and uh have a nice weekend i'll speak to you on the podcast again soon okay goodbye bye 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 Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.